the ninth chapter of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And once again, as we were looking this morning at just something that was unusual or something that perhaps was not well known or considered, how God can use, how God takes the nothings and nobodies of this world and uses them for his honor and glory. We see in this passage of God's word the story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. I want us to read there from verse number 1. Saul, that's Acts chapter 9 verse 1. Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went on to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with me stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for, behold, he prayeth. I seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints of Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. The Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hand on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus hath appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hast sent me that thou mightst receive thy sight. And be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat he was strengthened. Then were Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue. That he is the son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on the name in Jerusalem, this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief 
priests. But Saul increased the more, the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. We know that God will once again add his blessing to the reading of his precious word, but we'll just bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, as a little flock, gather around thy word tonight. We thank thee, we praise thee for those whom thou hast brought to hear thy word, and I pray that thou would write thy word upon each one of our hearts. That preacher and hearer alike might be instructed in thy precious word. Help me, our God, our Father, in all things to honor thee. And, O God, our Heavenly Father, turn every eye upon he who is uplifted, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee that thou hast given him a name that's above every name. For at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So bless us now and do our hearts good, for we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. One of the most humbling truths is that God uses men and women just like us to accomplish his divine purposes. Whenever we think of the divine purpose of God, how that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, how that God in, the, in his sovereign purpose and plan called us to himself and has redeemed us and washed us in the precious blood. And now are we that are saved, the sons and the daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. But God not only ordained to save us, God also ordained to sanctify us that day by day we would die more and more unto sin and live more and more unto righteousness. God ordained that we would serve him. And so we come to the service of the Lord Jesus. And the amazing thing is that God uses people just like us for his honor and for his glory to fulfill his divine purpose. I want us to come to one such person not very well known. In actual fact, he's just mentioned two times in the whole of the Scriptures. And they're both in the Acts of the Apostles. The first time it's mentioned here as the story is told of the conversion of Saul, how the Saul started out that day just like any other day. It's amazing he started out, the Bible says, he started out breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord he went on to the high priests and he desired letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any that were in that way, that was in, in Christ and were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would bind them and he would bring them back to Jerusalem bound. Of course, that day everything was to change. Do you remember the day we started out in our sin? Just like any other day. I remember the 4th of June, 1957, as a little boy. I started out that day just like every other day, but God had been working on my heart and God had been speaking to my soul. I went along to that gospel meeting, that little gospel mission. And thank God the evangelists faithfully preached the word of God. And that night, I came as a sinner, drawn by the Spirit of God, and received the Lord Jesus Christ. That day, everything changed. And friend, that's your testimony too. You started out one day, just like every other day in your sin, but God 
That's it. That's the secret. But God. God in a sovereign purpose and God in a sovereign plan changed that. And that's what happened to Saul of Tarsus. He was one. He was going to destroy the, those that loved the Lord Jesus. And yet that day the Lord would change him. He'd become one of those that loved the Lord Jesus. That's the amazing grace of God, isn't it? Well, did Newton say amazing grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And so we find that he's mentioned here in verse number 10 in the story of how that Saul of Tarsus got saved. And I believe that he was saved on that Damascus road. I believe the Lord changed him. He cried out, Lord. He started out and he said, Who are you, Lord? He, thank God he cries, Lord, what will thou? He acknowledged the lordship of Christ. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God told him, what he was to do. The Lord said in verse number 6, The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city. It shall be told thee what thou must do. Now when Saul was giving his testimony, just turn over to the 22nd chapter of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. <clears throat> Saul's giving his testimony here. And he tells about that day. And he said in verse number 8 of chapter 22, And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light, and were afraid, and they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee. You see, he had got to go there. Saul of Tarsus, he wanted to know the will of God. God said, listen, I want you to arise. I want you to go into Damascus. And he said, there it shall be told thee. It'll be made plain there. And of course, we sang the hymn tonight, Trust and Obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that's exactly what Saul of Tarsus has got to do. And there it shall be told thee of all things Mark what verse 10 says. It shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. God says, I'm going to make it plain what your calling is. I'm going to make it clear. And so God is not going to disappoint his child. But to do that, God uses instruments. God uses instruments. And I want us to look here because Saul of Tarsus, he arose and he was blinded for three days. Remember three days? He was led by the men who were with him. Remember there were those that journeyed with him and they were out to join him in binding and to bring back the Christians. My, what did they think that day? Have you ever thought about that? What did those men think that day? Because they were going, and they knew that here was a man that was so enraged, he was breathing out. Listen, you could see the very smoke, as it were, going out of his nostrils. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord. And these men were with him. They were with him for, to bring back those saints of God bound. But we find that rather than binding anyone, they led someone. It's wonderful how God works, isn't it? This is the sovereign outworkings of God. 
The Bible says they led him by the hand. Acts chapter 9, verse 8. They led Saul by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Not for the purpose. Now, they didn't know what was happening here. In many ways, neither did Saul, other than he knew that that day his life was changed. He knew that God had a purpose for him. He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He yielded his heart, his life to the Lord, and he wanted God to lead him for the rest of the journey. And God says, I want you to go. I want you to go into Damascus, and I want you to know that there, all the things that are appointed for thee to do. You said, what wilt thou have me to do? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to reveal it. But you've got to go there. You see, it's important to be in the place where God wants you to be. And you see, when you know that you're in the very center of the will of God, friend, no matter how great the testing, thank God you'll stick, you'll stick the journey. When you know you're in the place where God wants you to be. And here we find that Saul of Tarsus, his eyes, listen, he couldn't see. When he opened his eyes, he could not see any man. Why? Because he was blind. And those men that were journeying with him, that were to bring back bound the saints of God, they led this man, Saul of Tarsus, and he's blind now. They lead him. They lead him into that city. And they lead him into a house in that city. A place that God had prepared. Once again we see God knew everything about it. God knew exactly what place it was going to be. God knew exactly what house he would go into. And there he went. And he was blinded and he neither ate, neither did he drink for three days. Now, as that was happening, friend, verse 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he says, Behold, I'm here, Lord. Now, I want you to notice that God's working on the heart of a man called Ananias. There are three Ananiases in the Bible. There were two rascals, One was Ananias, the one who deceitfully pretended that he had sold his property and given it all to the Lord. He wanted to be somebody among the saints. But he was false. And God struck him down dead for his deceitfulness. The other Ananias was the high priest. He was a religious rascal. He was the high priest, but... God dealt with him as well. But this Ananias is different. And as I said, he's only mentioned in passing in the word of God, and yet God records him because there's a story that God has recorded concerning this man. And I want you to notice about the man that God used. We looked this morning at the colt the animal that God used. Now we're looking at the man that God used. And his name is called Ananias. I want you to notice the very first thing. The man whom God uses must be a disciple. 
He must be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I say that God primarily works through his children. God can use anything. And God can use anyone. The Bible says that God can use the wrath of man to praise him. Why? Because he's God. With man this is impossible. But praise God, there's nothing impossible with our God. Remember, God used the hunger of those saints out there, or those people out there in the wilderness, and gave the great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. God manifested, the Lord manifested his glory in the feeding of 5,000 with five wee loaves and two wee fishes. God used a storm in the life of Simon Peter to bring him down to the feet of Jesus, to take away that haughtiness, to take away that pride. Do you remember whenever Peter heard it was the Lord walking upon the water, Peter says, well, Lord, if it's you, bid, bid me to come. If you can do it, I can do it. The Lord had to teach Peter a lesson that day, or that. And friend, God teaches us lessons. And sometimes the Lord has to humble us to lift us up to God to make us use, useful in his services. And we find here that whenever Peter got out of that boat, yes, he walked to go to Jesus, but then he got his eyes on the wind and he got his eyes on the waves and he began to sink. And it wasn't until that he was going down into those watery grave that he lifted his eyes to the Lord and he said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. And friend, not only Peter through that instance, but those all together in the boat, they realized this was indeed the Son of God. The Lord used the storm to manifest his glory. But whilst it is true that God uses anyone and God can use anything if that is God's will, primarily God uses his servants, his children, to be a blessing in his service. Now the Bible says in verse number 10, there was a certain disciple. This man was already one of the Lord's children. He was simply a disciple. And we find here that this disciple, Ananias, is going to be used in the hand of God to reveal God's purpose and God's plan to this new convert. Remember, Saul of Tarsus has got saved. That's only the start of the journey. We need to know what to do. We need to be instructed in the things of God. And let me tell you, my friend, here was a man and he needed to know what to do, but God already was working in Ananias' heart. Because in actual fact, whenever Saul of Tarsus was on that Damascus road, God said, 
God said that Ananias had seen or that Saul had seen in a vision a man called Ananias coming in. He was to be God's instrument. He was an unknown. The Bible puts it like this. There was a certain disciple. He really wasn't a very notable person. He was just a certain disciple. But thank God he's going to be used of God. And God is going to use him mightily. And what I see here is how that God uses ordinary people. Now Ananias was not an apostle. Ananias was not one of the deacons. Ananias was not an ordained minister. Ananias was not one of the leaders in the fellowship in Damascus. Ananias was just a certain disciple. And I trust that that will be an encouragement to you, friend. Because God has ordained to use people like Ananias, like you and me, ordinary people, to be instruments for his honour and for his glory. He wasn't one of the great leaders of the church. But what did God say? God's word tells us over there in the book of 1 Corinthians and turn over to it and just mark that verse again in the first chapter of the book of Corinthians. It says, Ye see your calling, brethren. Verse 26. How that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now he didn't say not any. He said not many. Because it is true that God has called wise men. Men with great knowledge. And with great knowledge and wisdom after the flesh. And mighty men. God has called people in authority. And used them for his honor and for his glory. He didn't say not any. He says not many wise men after the flesh. And not many mighty and not many noble. But God did call such. And then it says in verse 27, But God. There's another but God. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And God has chosen the base things of the world and things which are despised. That's what God has chosen. Things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Now why has God done that? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Now we realize that it's not us. It's all of him. It's all of him. You know, sometimes God's children can get a big head. And then God uses us and then we get carried away as if we are something, that somehow it's all of us. Friend, I can tell you, you're in great danger if that happens in your life. Because God has got to bring you down. 
God's got to burst the bubble. Because God resisteth the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so we find here that it was just an ordinary disciple. I said just a certain disciple. He was just one of the ordinary saints. Not one of the leaders. But one of the ordinary saints. And God is using Do you remember Naaman the leper? He was a mighty man with his master, the king. And yet God used a little maid. A little maid that had been taken away from home. Taken away from the comfort of her family. And yet God used this little maid because while she was taken away from her family, thank God she wasn't taken away from the Lord. She was still his. And the Lord gave that little maid whenever her master was in great need. The Lord gave her a great burden for her master. Even though he was a persecutor of her. And yet God gave her a concern, a burden for her master. And she told him about the man of God. So the first thing the man that God uses or the woman that God uses friend you must be a disciple you don't have to be a rich disciple you don't have to be a brilliant disciple listen you've got to be a disciple you've got to be a follower of the Lord but then there's something else about him because not only was he a certain disciple but let's now turn to chapter 22 it says something about him in Acts chapter 22 whenever Saul is giving his testimony about this instant it said in verse number 11 and when I could not see for the glory of thy like being led by the hand of them which uh, that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there. Now whilst I said to you, it doesn't, you don't have to be a bright person. You don't have to be a mighty person. But you do need to be a devout person. In other words, Ananias, he lived a consistent Christian life before those among whom he lived. And friend, if you and I do not live a consistent Christian life amongst those among whom we live or we speak to, let me tell you, they'll not hear what you say because they see what you do and here was a man called Ananias but the Holy Ghost records concerning this man and, and Paul the mighty apostle now he's giving his testimony and he's looking back to the day of his conversion and then he remembers those days in the darkness and then there came a man and the Bible it's recorded here this man Ananias he was a devout man in other words, he had a character that was beyond reproach. 
his conduct was blameless. He was a godly man. Now when it says here was a devout man according to the law, that does not mean that he was a legalistic Pharisee who majored on the minors and minored on the majors. It means this, that his life when it was measured by the law of God. He lived that godly life. And friend, if you and I are to be used by God, we've got to live a godly life. Now the Bible also says this, he was a devout man according to the law. That was as God saw him. But then, what about his neighbours? What about those that he fellowshiped with? And those that he lived? It says he had a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there. In other words, as God looked at his life, he lived a godly life. But not only had he the testimony of a godly life, but praise God there's a testimony that his life adorned the gospel because he had a testimony amongst those among whom he lived. Among even those that he fellowshiped. In other words, his testimony adorned the doctrine that he professed to believe. And that's important for the service of Christ. And let me show you that. Turn to Titus, the little book of Titus. And Paul is writing to Titus in chapter 2 and he says this concerning servants. And this is applicable to you and me as those that knew and loved the Lord Jesus and served the Savior. It says this, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their masters. That means they're to be submissive. And you and I, if we're going to be useful in the hand of God, we're going to be like that little colt this morning. That when Jesus sat upon that colt, immediately came under the control of Christ. Submissive. Didn't kick back. Didn't bolt. Submission. Controlled by the Master. And here we find that the servant is to be obedient unto their masters. They are to be in a submissive relationship to their master. What does that mean? It means they are to give satisfaction. They are to be pleasing. Cause their masters to be pleased. In other words, well approved. And that's the kind of testimony that you and I need. See among those you work. See your master. I remember phoning a person one up. I was fighting a constituency case and I rang this young man and he was being rather difficult. He was in a bank. And this uh, businessman, he got, a, he got a, a letter on a Friday morning. And of course at the weekend, the banks closed in the afternoon in Northern Ireland and he got a letter on Friday morning to say that he had to settle his account or they wouldn't pay any more bills for him. 
Now this was a Friday morning and he just got this, it was the afternoon. He rang me as his member of parliament in real distress and I rang and finally got through to the bank manager and I said to this young man, I said to him, I said, listen sir, I said, you know, this is a Friday afternoon. How do you expect this man to settle his accounts completely this afternoon? This man has got several, about 20 workers for him. And he said, you're saying you're going to stop. If he doesn't clear his account today, you're going to stop all his accounts. In other words, you'll not be able to pay his workmen. He very arrogantly said to me, he says, well, of course, he said, don't be putting that burden on me. I'm not the boss of those men. In other words, it's, not, it's nothing to me. I said to the young man, I said, could I speak to your boss? He says, I don't have one. I says, you must be a mighty person. I said, you have no boss? He said, no. I said, you know, well, you know, I'm a member of parliament, but I have a boss. And I says, you seem to be more important and you're just in this branch and you're telling me you have no boss. I said, tell me, what about in headquarters? Is there anybody's your boss? Oh, yes, he says, there's somebody there. Oh, he says, you've got a boss after all. And I said, I'd like you to put me through to him. The end of that story, friend, was this. That lad got sacked for his arrogancy. You know, we have got to be submissive to our masters. In other words, we've got to be a good, have a good testimony in our workplace. Christianity comes into our daily living. And then it says this, it says, The servant is to be obedient unto their own masters and please them well in all things. And then it says, not answering. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're to be a walkover. But it does mean is we're not to be argumentative. In other words, we're not to be the person that starts the argument in the workplace. We're not to be talking back. We're not to be contrary. We're not to be contradicting and disputing and disobeying as a habitual practice. I remember there was a young lad in our town and I, I was on the council for 37 and a half years as a, an elected councillor. And I remember one day speaking to the manager of this, the workplace and he said this to me. He said, he says, you see, there's a lad there and he's a professing Christian. He says, let me tell you, I have more trouble with him than anybody else in this place. And you know, the lad thought it was something to be proud of. I'll tell you, friend, it was something to be ashamed of. Because he had no testimony at all. The word of God says that the servant is not answering again. In other words, not to be that argumentative employee. And then it says, not purloining, verse 10. That means you're not to take that which is not yours. You're not to defraud your master. Not to steal. Not to pilfer. Brother Sandy Lennox was my treasurer in Macrofelt for 48 years. And let me tell you, every place he went, and every business in the town, let me tell you, they always used to say, there's one thing about Macrofelt, 
you pay your bill, your bill as well. We never have to send out the second letter. Sandy had that testimony for our congregation. Friend, that's a good testimony. Some people are always trying to get out of them rather than paying them. You're to pay what is what you're supposed to pay. It says not purloining, but showing all fidelity. Show that you can be trusted. Show that you're trustworthy. Show you that you're faithful. Why is it to say all of this? Look at verse 10. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And that is what Ananias had. He had a testimony that adorned the gospel of Christ. He lived that consistent Christian life. And if you and I are to be used of God, we have to faithfully live before God and before the people that we work with and we live among. God's child. And friend, that's not always easy. Because I can tell you, they'll test you. They'll push you to the limit. You're not to be a pushover. You're not to be someone to be tramped upon as God's child. But I can tell you this. Always remember this. You're bearing a testimony for the Lord Jesus. And Ananias, he was a person that God could use. Something else very quickly. Ananias was a person who was available to do whatever God wanted. Notice what it says here. In verse, in chapter 9, Ananias says, Then Ananias answered the Lord, I have seen, or I have heard by many of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints. Let's go back to verse 10. And there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. Nearly running ahead of himself. He says, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And there are two things I want you to notice this. First of all, he was a man who had got an ear. To hear what God said. He was one who was listening. For a word from the Lord. Child of God. You need to have a sensitive ear. To what God has to say. And whenever God spoke to him. Notice he says. Behold I am here Lord. I'm here. He was not only listening. But he was available. Available. And let me tell you, friend, that's the first thing for God to you. You've got to be available. Are you available? There's no use you asking God what he wants you to do. Are you available? And if you're not, then why are you asking God what you what he wants you to do? It says here, Behold, I'm here, Lord. Ananias was ready to go as soon as the Lord called. In other words, he was ready to serve. 
ready to serve. And that's what God wants from you and me. He wants us to be ready to serve. And whenever he was ready to serve, God told him where to go, whom he would see, and what he was to do. God made the way clear. God made the place of service plain. He says, I want you to go. And I want you to go. And the Lord said unto verse 11, Arise, go into the street which is called straight. It was just an ordinary, an ordinary street. It was a plain street. It was a well-known street. A broad thoroughfare. And God says, There's where you're to go. In Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21, God says, This is the way. Walk in it. That's all you've got to do. When God says, This is the way. Walk it. Walk in it. And God says, Ananias, go. And go into the street. And he said, There. There you'll find someone. Inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. That's who he's going to see. God made it clear. And then God told him what to do. God says, Verse 15, the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. God says, Go. Because you're the answer to the prayer that Saul of Tarsus made in the Damascus road. Lord, what will you have me to do? And God said, Saul, I'm going to tell you there and he would tell him through Ananias now God we've got to move very quickly because we're going to close listen God knew exactly that fear would be in the heart of his child God knew all about it because he said this just as a wee word of encouragement before he said anything else he says go in and inquire in the house verse 11 for one called Saul of Tarsus behold he prayeth My, what encouragement that was to hear. He's praying. See, Ananias had heard other things. Ananias had heard that he had authority to bind all that call in the name of the Lord. And he was one that had done much evil to the saints at Jerusalem. But God, just to encourage him, says, Behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen in a vision. In other words, Ananias, he's expecting you. He's expecting you, a man called Ananias. And I want you to put your hand on him that he might receive his sight. In other words, he's blind. So God dismissed all his fears. He's praying. He's blind so he can do him no harm. But he's also expecting him. You know, God meets all our needs. I don't know, sometimes, you know, we have got fears when God tells us what to do, and we cross bridges we never have to come to. But my God, God just used to say, and then it says in verse 17, Ananias went his way. And here's the last thing I want to say 
The man that God used must have a love for souls. Verse 17, Ananias went his way, he entered into the house, he put his hands on Saul of Tarsus and said, Brother Saul. He believed God, friend. He didn't go with a critical spirit. He didn't go and say, listen, you're the man that I heard doing all those evil things and nobody wants to be associated with you and everybody's afraid of you. No, he didn't. He put his hand upon him. In other words, he put his arm around him. And he says, you're my brother. My brother saw. I believe that day that in God's child's face there was a tear running down his cheek when he realized the miracle that God had wrought in the life on this ungodly man and he wept and then he instructed him he told him what he must do and that brings us to chapter 22 before we finish in chapter 22, when Saul's giving his testimony, verse 13, He came unto me, and he stood, and he said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. The same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldst know his will. As nobody asked for, never Saul asked for in the road, What wilt thou have me to do? Lord, I want to know your will. And Ananias said, God hath chosen thee that thou shouldst know his will and see that just one and shouldst hear the voice of his mouth for thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. He instructed the child of God. Now remember this here. You see, when a person gets saved, they need instruction. The disciples were told to go. Go ye into all the world and make disciples of all nations. You've got to teach them. Teaching them all things. And you know, sometimes whenever a person gets saved, everybody gets all excited, and rightly so. And then they just let that person go on. That person needs to be discipled. That person needs to be taught. And Saul of Tarsus had a godly man called Ananias. And he took the time to reveal what God's will was for Saul's life if you know a child an unsaved or a, a saved person a young babe in Christ take the time take the time to disciple them don't worry do thyself no harm we are all here amen take the time to disciple them you need to show them Remember, sometimes we've got this idea that a person saved and my, this should just be a fully grown man in Christ. They're babes. 
Babes need to be fed. They need to be nourished. And they need to be cared for. They need to be loved. And that's the job of the older brethren and sisters. To help the babes in Christ. And that's what Ananias did under God. May God help us to be usable for his service. Amen. Heavenly Father, bless your word to our hearts. And, O oh God, use us for thy glory. Make us those instruments for thy honor and thy glory. Help us to live lives before others that they might know that we're truly thy. And make us a channel of thy blessing. For Jesus' sake. Amen.